I have mentioned before that uh, Thanksgiving is uh, my favorite holiday. Uh, we've talked about that uh, in the past, uh, mentioned that. And uh, as I was thinking about uh, Thanksgiving this year and thinking about um, what would be an appropriate way for us as a church to kind of uh, reflect upon it and, and recognize uh, our debt to God, and express our thankfulness to God, um, I thought that uh, the Lord's Supper would be a fitting way to do that. And so today we do gather together uh, to be able to uh, to partake and to just reflect uh, upon what God has given us. And I want to challenge this morning, uh, I want to challenge us to consider just how big um, a blessing or multitude of blessings God has given us. And I want to do that by looking probably in what you may consider a strange place. I want to look in the book of Job, uh, the 26th chapter. Job is one of my favorite Old Testament characters um, because Job is one of those individuals who who speaks the truth, who struggles with the truth sometimes in terms of finding how it comes together and finding how it all works. But he does so in the midst of uh, maintaining his righteousness. Uh, I am uh, of the position of the opinion that, that Job maintains his righteousness throughout the book and that God acknowledges that at the end when God says uh, to the friends, you have not spoken correctly about me as my servant Job has. And one of the exchanges that we find in Job is between um, Job and Bildad. Um, Bildad is, uh, I don't know if I should say that or not. One of your dad jokes from the, book, from the Bible is Bildad. He is one of the shortest people in the uh, Bible, as he is identified as Bildad the Shuhite. So, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> Sometimes as a dad, you got to pull out those dad jokes, uh, whether they're good or not. And that one's not particularly good. But nonetheless, um, Bildad has a, has a very interesting take on things uh, in terms of Job's situation. He calls Job continually to, uh, to repent and that God would make things all better. And essentially tells Job that he's getting what he deserved uh, in some way. And after uh, his speech in chapter 25, probably the shortest of the friend's speech, and we get really a we get really a feel that Job interrupts Bildad's speech. That Bildad has begun his 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 diatribe, his expressions to Job, and Job just cuts him off and essentially says, "You've been no help." In my situation, in my hurt, in my pain, you have offered me nothing. But then, Job breaks into a reflection about God and all that God is. And beginning in verse 6, this is where we pick up a Job's speech. It says, Sheol is naked before God. And Abaddon has no covering. 
He stretches the northern skies over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the water in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst beneath its weight. He obscures the view of his throne, spreading his cloak over it. He laid out the horizon on the surface of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars that hold up the sky tremble, astounding at his rebuke. By his power he stirred the sea, and by his understanding he crushed the sea monster Rahab. By his breath the heavens gained their beauty. His hand pierced their, the fleeing serpent. These are but the fringes of his ways. How faint is the word we hear of him. Who can understand his mighty thunder? Job is looking at creation. He's looking at what he's been told about God. He's looking at his current situation, his, his, his situation that is so full of pain. He's lost his children. He's lost his home. He's lost his health. His wife has not supported him uh, in this time. His friends have not supported him in this time. He is alone. And in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of this grief, in the midst of this searching for answers, he breaks into a hymn of who God is. And as we come to this time of thanksgiving, when we gather around our tables, tables stacked and brimming with food and with blessings, houses full of loved ones, I get the feeling that some of us this year perhaps are not feeling all that thankful. We're going through hardship. We look at uh, our country. We look at the COVID situation. We look at the injustices in our world. We look at the difficulties in our world. We look at our own personal struggles and our hurts, people that we've lost over the last couple of years. And it can be hard. It can be hard to have a heart of thankfulness in the midst of that. Job here is struggling for answers. He's struggling for directions and purposes. He's struggling to understand what God's doing. Why is my life going the way it's going? I don't understand. I've stood in righteousness. I've stood with clarity. I've helped people in counsel and in other ways. I, I did sacrifices for my children just in case they forgot. Job has poured everything he is into his relationship with God and his relationship with his family, and now... It all seems gone. But his answer is not to despair. His answer is not to give up. 
His answer is to dive in and try and understand God more. And if you look at the discussion between Job and his friends, the, the friends, that they have it all figured out. God is a certain way, God acts a certain way, and certain things happen. They, they have their pat answers, they have their theology, they have their mindsets of who God is. Job is struggling because he understands certain things about God, but those things aren't necessarily matching up with his experience, but he, he wants to hold on to God. He, wants, he knows that his Redeemer lives. He knows that there is one who can offer an answer. He knows that there is a direction, and he's struggling. He's fighting for that direction. He's fighting for that understanding. And he talks about the great works of God, that there's, there's no part of creation. Sheol, Abaddon itself, is laid bare before God. There, there's, there's no foe that's too big. He mentions the, the great sea serpent Rahab, which is a, is a part of the, the, the mythology, the, the, the stories of the day. And he says before God that such and such a creature, such a, a terrifying thing is, is nothing. Then he says there in verse 14, these are but the fringes of his ways. The first time I really had this passage revealed to me or applied to me in, in a very powerful way was um, back in 2002. Christy was pregnant with Jonathan, and just a, a few weeks before, we had we had learned of Jonathan's diagnosis with spina bifida, and we had been told he would never walk. He probably wouldn't talk. He'd be developmentally delayed um, on numerous levels, and that every part of his life would basically be a miserable existence. And we had traveled out to Nashville to look at some experimental surgeries to perhaps um, pursue those. That perhaps that was the answer. They, they were doing these in vitro, or in utero, excuse me, in utero uh, surgeries at that time with children of spina bifida to see if maybe they could alleviate some of the damage by going into the womb itself. And we were looking at that possibility. We had been granted access to it there at Vanderbilt. They had said, we'll, we'll let you do it. And as I was there, I was staying with a, a pastor friend in the area. And he wasn't instructing me about this passage at all. He just shared it. He says, it's a, it's a passage that he'd just come across just a, a, a couple weeks before, and he'd just been meditating on it. And as he shared it with me, it, it, it clicked, it, it, it connected. These are but the fringes of his ways. All the things I could think of about God. All the stories I know about God's power and God's presence and God's abilities. All the, all the, the narratives of creation. All the, all the wonders of science and, and what I can observe and what I can recognize. The intricacies of 
of nature, the beauty of the, the variety of species that we have in both uh, animal life and plant life. All these things I know about God. The fact that he sent his son to die for me. To give me life. That though I deserved death. Though I deserved the punishment for my sins. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. What you earn from your sin is death. That's what you deserve. And yet God stepped in and said, I'll, I'll pay that wage. I'll take care of that debt. And as we sung a little bit ago, His Son died on the cross in my place, in your place. And I think about all of those things, all the things I know about him. And Job here says, speaks truly, those are just the fringes of his ways. Those are just, I'm just getting to the border of the knowledge of God. When I was a, a child, my parents took a, we took a trip up to the Grand Canyon, as a lot of people in Arizona do. It's a fairly common summer trip. And as you come across the, the, the southern part of the Grand Canyon, um, coming in from the Flagstaff side, there's, there's little parts of the canyon that are, that are kind of there right along the road. And you can stop and you can look at them, but they're they're just it's just the fringes of the Grand Canyon. It's just the starting, it's just the introduction of it. It's not the fullness of it. And as a child I got out and I looked and I wasn't all that impressed. It wasn't that big a deal. It's just it's just some holes in the ground. Wasn't what that part of the Grand Canyon was not that magnificent. And I told my mom and dad, okay, I've seen it. Let's go home. I got cartoons to watch. You know? And I said, you haven't even seen it yet. We got in the, in the vehicle, drove down to the main entrance, and as you come up over the hill, you see it. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, if you've ever visited there on the, the, the south, you, you actually come up over a hill, and as you come up over the hill, you see it. And it is breathtaking, literally breathtaking. And I think about that in terms of this passage. All I had seen was just the fringes of the canyon. It was pretty, it was nice, it was, it was all right. But when I saw, started to see the breath of it, then I began to understand what the big deal was all about. And as we reflect upon God this week, as we sit down on Thursday for our meal, and I know many of you have customs where you go around the table, what are you thankful for this 
want to invite you. I want you to, to encourage you just to spend some time, if not in that necessarily in that moment, but before that moment. Just meditating on the truth that what you know of God, and for many of us, it's a lot. What you know of God is just a shadow, a fringe of what He's actually capable of. Of what He's actually like. You know enough that you can relate to Him. You know enough that you can respond to His invitation of life and hope and joy. You know enough that you can put your trust and your confidence in Him. And for some of us, that's a lot. Because it takes a lot for us to trust people. To be able to trust God means that we know a lot about Him. We, we, we know enough about Him. But that's just a shadow. That's just a fringe. We sang a, a little bit ago in, in our song that the wrath of God and the sin of man both placed upon Jesus on the cross. Can you even begin to fathom what that means? The depth of what he went through? I can't. I can't. But here's what I know. I'm thankful that he didn't. I'm thankful that he's bigger than I often think he is. I'm thankful that he's more loving than I deserve. I'm thankful that as big a picture of God's love as the cross is, his love is even bigger than that. As big a wonder as creation is, his power is even bigger than that. As big a picture of his creativity is in the intricacies and the difference and the uniqueness of the creatures of this world, his creativity is even bigger than that. He's bigger than I think he is. And in that, I can be thankful. This morning, we come to remember. To remember his body that was broken. His blood that was spilled. For you. And for me. And yeah, times are hard. And life is hard. We lose loved ones. 
we go through situations we don't understand. But his promise is that he is with us. And if the God who is bigger than creation, who's bigger than all these things, is with us, truly who or even what can stand against us? There is no trial you're going through. There is no struggle you're facing. There is no hardship you are encountering that God cannot see you through. And not just see you through, but give you the capacity to flourish. Not just survive. Not just get by. But to flourish. As we come to this time, the first thing I I need to ask you, first thing you need to consider, is what exactly are you remembering when you take the bread and the cup? Are you remembering, in your estimation, some event that happened 2,000 years ago that Significant to a lot of people, but it's not really significant to you. If you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's all it is to you. Just a historical event that a lot of people reflect upon. But I want to invite you to discover it's much more than that. It is the possibility of your rescue from hell. It is the possibility of life right now to the fullest. It is the possibility of experiencing a relationship with the God of this universe. It is a possibility of you becoming and discovering all that you were made to be. The reason I say it's a possibility is because God doesn't force Himself on anybody. He offers. He invites. And until you accept that offer, until you accept that invitation, until you experience the transformation that His gift can bring, then all those truths are just possibilities. And so if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that sort of commitment, that level of response, I invite you to do that. Second thing I want to you to, to ask, I want to ask, I want to you consider is if you are a believer, you have experienced that, are you are you walking in the joyfulness of that salvation? Because the salvation you've been granted is a 
salvation of joy. It is a salvation of life. It is a salvation of, of hope and a future and a present that's beyond what you can imagine. But so often we let the things of this world blind us to that. We let the, the situations and the circumstances and the hurt of our lives cloud our understanding and our perspective. So I invite you to remember today that Jesus has paid it all. And you don't have to walk in that sorrow and that grief. You'll experience sorrow. You'll experience grief. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain there. You don't have to live life through that lens. Christ has delivered you. Christ has set you free. And so you are free indeed. as we take of the bread and the cup, as we remember, let us be thankful of all that it means and thankful for even the bigger part of what it means that we may never ourselves fully grasp. That God is bigger than we can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you just for how big you are that I can't even begin to imagine. All I've seen, all I've comprehended, all I've understood is just the fringe of your majesty and your glory and your power. God, I, I pray today First, that if there's anyone here who does not have a relationship with you, who for whatever reason has put off or postponed or pushed away your invitation, Lord, that you would draw them in your power right now, that they would surrender to you right where they're seated. they would understand there's there's no magic formula, there's no magic prayer, there's no proper steps that they have to follow other than just surrender to you and your leadership. God, I pray right now that that would be their prayer, that would be their commitment. God, I pray for myself and my fellow believers here this morning. That you would overwhelm us with the awe and the wonder of, of who you are and what you've accomplished. And that even as we're overwhelmed by what we do know, that we would be further moved and directed by the possibilities of what we don't know. you're so much bigger than all that we face. 
God, use this time to help us to remember. God, help us to, to lay our lives at your feet. And it's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.